Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. And this is your host, Joanne, back with another episode. And today I am joined all the way from Boston by my guest, Jason Kraus. Hello, Jason. Hi. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Fantastic. I think, I hope I pronounced your surname correctly. Is it Kraus? Kraus? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Kraus. Okay. Cool. So it is very early in the morning where you are in Boston, and it's late in the evening over here for me in China. So it's, it's always cool to connect with people halfway across the world. Yeah, I'm glad this worked out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So Jason, tell us a little bit about just you generally, your background, and how you got into the work you're doing now, which is essentially the startup investment landscape. Sure. Yeah, basically, um, you know, I'd always been interested in sort of creating um, not necessarily like startups and businesses, but, um, you know, I had done small things like um, as a kid selling baseball cards or, um, you know, trying to figure out like new ways to create or sort of like change an existing game we were playing and like create something new out of it. Um, and that part, you know, still stuck with me on the entrepreneurship side. Um, uh, yeah, worked with a couple of friends in college to like build the early stages of, um, or we didn't really know how to develop, but like we put together a plan of like an app application we wanted to have in, in the school to connect with all the, uh, everything that was going on mm -hmm. um, around campus. And then, you know, I had been going, um, and more of, or basically I was studying economics and math and um, going more of the finance route. And I was always interested in that side. Um, but yeah, I went into uh, a program, an entrepreneur, or it was a management program, but focused on uh, entrepreneurship at Babson College. And then- Ooh, um, Babson. I know Babson really well. I use that with my students. They've got a lot of cool oh, really? stuff. Yeah, they've oh, got okay. that amazing entrepreneurship program at Babson. It's one of the best, I think, right? Yeah, they do. And, um, you know, I, it sort of changed from, like, 
I was originally just thinking, um, you know, it'll help me be more entrepreneurial in like a traditional finance role or other job there. But um, yeah, it got me really excited about sort of combining both sides. And um, I interned with one of the angel groups that had meetings at the campus and um nice you know yeah saw that like on the investment side uh you were still able to meet all the really cool companies um pretty early on and get involved with them and um just sort of um basically try and figure out which ones would be become successful and help them get there um so yeah i've been involved in a couple different um early stage funds and then also um i run a or I, uh, I run a um consulting company that i founded uh called prepare for vc where um you know taking what i've learned on the investment side and helping startups through the fundraising process um building out their pitches and presentations and fundraising strategy for investors right so you've got prepare for vc you also yep. are, you're a partner at a, a venture capital firm, is that correct? Or is that... Yeah, that's um, okay. EQX EQX fund, and that's um, sort of part of that initial. Well, it's a separate fund, but I work with uh, the head of that angel group um, I had started out with, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so we collaborate a lot, like on an earlier stage than a lot of other venture investors are looking, and. Um, you know, at more, I guess, more around the same level of where angel groups look that um, might not necessarily need, like, it's not necessarily the companies that um, need to raise $50 million to be successful. It can be ones that, um, you know, mm -hmm. maybe take a little bit less capital at the beginning and uh, can be a successful venture, um, you know, over the next five years um just by growing from where they are to something um you know 10 to 20 times bigger than that and uh without a lot of capital right and you are also the chapter chapter director of startup brain boston right yeah so that um basically i had done um or just some meetup groups and events um sort of as promotion on my own and like around all the other activities in the startup space beforehand. Um, and there was a good opportunity to get involved, like um, basically there had been a Boston chapter of Startup Grind um, and the other chapter director just moved away from Boston and um, there was an opportunity to apply and take that over and basically um, yeah, it's been a great experience so far there as well. Uh, basically, Startup Grind um, has, it started out in Silicon Valley about 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. um, as sort of this group, or gathering a group of entrepreneurs um, to learn from uh, speakers, so founders, investors, other people in the startup space that they brought in each month. Um, and now it's expanded to 500 different chapters around the world all doing these localized events and then coming together for um regional and global conferences every year yeah because where i am here in china startup grind is very big <laughs> very big yeah yeah and yeah. it's been interesting um 
so like normally it's all in-person events but now um everything's gone virtual um so you know we've seen i mean obviously like i still you know we all still love the in-person experience of actually like getting to really connect with the speakers connect with the audience um but it's been good to be able to have like people from other regions around the world um just mm. join in on each other's events that we're all hosting and um yeah get to meet yeah. a lot more people that way absolutely so okay you're a very busy guy you've got prepare for vc <laughs> you've got the eqx fund you're the director of Startup Grind Boston. Is there anything else that you do that, that we don't know about? Or is that about it? I know you've written a book. You want to tell us about your book? I have. Um, yeah, it's called Venture Forward Lessons from Leaders. And okay. the idea behind it is basically that, um, you know, whatever challenges or situations you're going through, there's somebody else, um, other entrepreneurs and leaders that have gone through something similar before that we can learn from um so it's mostly telling st stories at each phase of the startup journey of what other founders have done um some like less well-known or some of the local companies here in boston um other start or everything from technology like technology to healthcare companies on a a wine company out in the Midwest. Um, mm. And then there's also some bigger, like more unicorn startup stories of um, like how, or what the Airbnb founders had to do and how some of the brands like Instagram, um, you know, pivoted from their original idea to where they are now. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so how do we start this conversation? Should we start with sort of the different stages of your your startup where you would or where you, where you would need funding in that particular stage and kind of go through there so people can understand what that actually looks like or what how that works because there's a lot yeah, that sorry. we can cover yeah yeah that'd be good um yeah so basically and it depends on the type of company some businesses you know you need funding earlier on than others and some you mm -hmm. might never need funding like um you know on our on the consulting business i started um it's mm -hmm. pretty there's not too many costs involved it's just pretty much um you know you just go out there uh, i think i put a like put a quick website together um you know on on one of those um like drag and drop website builders originally uh mm -hmm, before we mm -hmm. had it redone and then yeah. um you know just reached out to as many people as i could to get the first project in um but other businesses if it's more you know uh if it's more of a high-tech mm -hmm. business or a hardware startup or something like that like um or even you know medical devices mm -hmm. or anything that has to go through more of um a, a clinical trial and things like that um you know need funding in order or pretty early on to do so um mm -hmm. but i think you know obviously uh it helps to have you know helps to have that 
that backing in the business. Um, as much as you can get off the ground in terms of traction before right. you fundraise, um, the easier it is and the more investors open up. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, and it depends on sort of who you are as a founder too. Like, are you, uh, are you the person that's going out and coding the first version of the business or are you, um, you know, the person with the real business mindset, the whole vision of the startup that needs to raise some funding to hire the team to go out and build this for them? Okay, so how about we say, hypothetically, it's a tech company, right? So yeah. you've got, you may have two, say, two co-founders, because I mean, most, most investors, they want to have a team, right? They want to have a team, they want to see that you've got an established team, that, you know, everybody's got their role. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So let's say you, like you just mentioned, you've got the tech person who has essentially built out whatever the tech is. And then you've got more of the, the consumer facing person, the person who's out in the public. And then maybe you have one or two other people on the team. So let's kind of make that up. That's the scenario we're working with, right? So at what stage would they... If we're looking at the different stages of funding, like say pre-seed pre funding, what would that look like for this company? Yeah, so that could be pretty early on into, um, you know, basically what investors are going to be looking at is um, there's still the team that you mentioned. Like, you know, if somebody else comes up with the same idea and, you know, it's going to happen, um, why is this team the best for the job like what are your previous experiences around um the industry or startups in general um and you know that can be the founders as well as like any advisors you bring in um you know a lot of companies will find somebody at um basic at like uh or in a successful role at another business that they can bring on as an advisor that will look, um, you know, they can turn to with any questions to help them grow and scale along the way. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, same with their board of directors. Uh, you don't always have that at the, like until really the seed or series A round, but um, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, there's other parts of the team that, like in addition to the day-to-day -day, um, like founders and executives that, um yeah that can also add value and sort of boost boost that side um yeah. in the product uh and it doesn't it, for the pre-seed part it doesn't always have to be um you know it helps if you have sort of a minimal viable products out right. there but um you you can get funding before that um it's just i'd say any way you can show that people are interested in this. So that can be, um, you know, going out and talking with a lot of customers and doing those getting interviews, the research, getting, the research, yeah, 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 doing, doing the actual research of the, um, of your target market and, you know, mm -hmm. having something to show investors that will get them excited that other people want to use it. So you don't necessarily have to have a minimum viable product to get that because pre-seed funding you I guess you're primarily dealing with angels right it's just like you're still bootstrapping it's just like smaller chunks of money right um 
Yeah, so it could be, you know, angels, uh, like, it can be individual, yeah, angels and investors that are, um, you know, maybe they see the same needs you have, and Mm. um, a lot of times at the pre-seed stage, it's, like, investors that um, have some sort of tie to the industry and Mm. are... um, you know, just see like, all right, you know, I know this is early on in the company, but if this works, this will be huge. And I know I would use it as, um, as someone in the space or someone previously in the space. Um, and then, you know, it can also be certain more of the accelerator programs as well, um, Mm. that like they invest or, you know, they can invest and like teach companies earlier on how to go from that early stage business into having that MVP out on the market and um, being ready to raise their next round of funding. Right. So, okay. So they have, they've done the research, they've got some traction or what I guess what we would call their early adopters. Right. And now they want to get to the product development stage. Okay. Right. So product development stage is, I guess where we get into the seed funding now. Right. Because if it's a tech product, you may, it may be quite expensive to build. Right. Um, yeah, and so these are sort of, and then it's weird because it varies a little bit across, um, you know, different locations. Like, I feel like, um, you know, seed funding had traditionally been the early stage investment into, um, you know, mm-hmm or what we were talking about, like companies that may have done an MVP product, but need to build out the full scale business. Um, Now it's, it's, I think it's shifted a little bit into like a lot of seed stage companies even have, uh, you know, some early users and revenues um, in the business. But um, yeah, it depends on sort of, um, or it depends on the investors and I'd say the good guidelines are really around like, um, you know, more pre-seed could be anywhere up to, um, you know, within the several hundred thousand dollars up to, um, yeah, $700,000 range, um, in terms of investment and usually you're like, below the $5 million valuation mark um, and a seed investment, you know, you can be, and it it obviously like can change depending on, you know, just depending on the business, but um, yeah, in the seed stage, you know, you're at least usually 500,000 to a million and a half um, on a raise on California Mm -hmm. and the West coast. It's a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it could be, you know, uh, like $2 million plus rounds they're looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it can be anywhere up to like, uh, you know, you can raise business or there's businesses that raise um, at higher or yeah. Now it's, it's been um, over the last few years, like much higher valuations, I think, but um, some of it's come back a little bit um right now to incentivize investors to like continue funding through COVID and through 
you know, mm. everything else that's going on right now. Um, but yeah, I'd say for the most part, um, the pre or the big difference is like pre-seed and seed funding are more based off of, um, based off of the vision of, uh, you know, you have a little bit more traction at both of those towards the seed stage, but it's still based off of where can this business go five right. years from now versus when you get into the series A and series B funding, um, you know, it can be based off of like, it's a lot easier to value it based off of revenue or other, um, or the size of your user base and other statistics that you already have in the business that aren't there early on in the seed stage of the company. Right, right. Okay, so you mentioned Series A. So Series A is your first tranche of venture capital financing, right? So right. You, you've developed, you have a working business model, you definitely have a team, um, you, pr you may or may not be developing your product even further, and you've definitely shown that you can scale. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, you know, so even, um, yeah, and then, or companies can go different routes. Like some businesses will go, um, I mean, there's, now there's institutional investors and VCs that have yeah. funds specifically for, uh, they have like a larger pre-seed fund or a seed fund. Um, so they might be investors and take a large chunk of either of the earlier rounds um, or it can be, you know, individual investors, angels and angel groups, which is really like um, still individual investors investing their own money, but they come together to review all the deals and work on the diligence um, and like, yeah, screen all the companies and before they all make their individual decisions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say for, or for the most part, the later rounds, um, yeah, the series A and beyond typically involve venture capital funds. And, um, so there'll be usually each round has a lead investor and mm. that'll be, um, you know, the firm that's putting, uh, or basically usually putting a large chunk of that investment round into the business. Um, they're doing a lot of the work on vetting and valuing the company, setting up the deal. Um, and yeah. then there might be some other investors that come in as more as co-investors as part of the round. Um, so whatever, or the reason it's broken up into these stages is um, basically when every, or when you do a series A round, all the series A investors are coming in on the same turn or same type of stock and the same value of the company at that point. Yeah. Um, and then when you go to the next round, hopefully there's a increase in the value of the business when the mm -hmm. series A or series B investor comes in mm -hmm. and everybody else before that should benefit. Mm, right. So you get to series B. So now you're probably valued a little bit more, I'm assuming, and you're growing. Maybe you've got some more customers. What else is happening in the 
Series B stage? Maybe you've scaled a little bit more, more market? Yeah, um, yeah, so you should, and part of the process on, you know, even raising the earlier rounds is um, you'll be setting like the milestones and the goals for the business. So, um, you know, that can include you want to hit or you think with the Series A investment, you'll hit a certain number of users or revenue size before the next round or, um, or it can be like maybe you're selling to more large businesses and enterprises and you want to get a certain number or type of those businesses on board. Mm. And yeah, so the investors are going to be tracking or your previous investors are going to be like following on and tracking your progress and might invest in the next round as well. Um, mm. Or you can get, a, you know, a lot of times it'll expand with new investors that come in for more of that series B or later stage funding. Mm. Um, and yeah, and there's no like set stopping point. Um, so, right. you know, there's businesses that uh, can do a seed round of funding um, and sort of just grow and scale and then get a, acquired by a large business and all the investors and the entrepreneurs, um, you know, can still be pretty well off from that versus, uh, you know, when you're getting into larger amounts of, like if you're raising, you know, series A, B and beyond, um, if you're up to, you know, $40 million in funding, um, you're going to want to, or this, you're sort of at the point where you decided that this has to be, um, you know, in order to be a success, it has to be a lot bigger than, uh, than the amount of capital you, you brought in. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a decision, um, on the founders and the investors of like what the best strategy for the business is. And also it depends a little bit on, um, on the type of company too. If you're more of say like an Uber that needs everybody around, everybody around you, um, or it needs a lot of scale within each location. Um, you know, there's somebody that's a perfect fit for venture capital and a large amount of financing. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to grow really quickly to expand their user base versus, um, you know, if you talk about like um, any of the, or yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, even tools for events and other platforms now that um, basically just got, they got, uh, or they had some initial funding, got other like early users on board and then just sort of grow and grew in scale from there. Um, and, you know, can still, uh, I guess, or they grow more because of the other partners and people involved that they have on there. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, other types of companies like, uh, you know, a lot of medical technology will just be bought out by a large, um, a large business that, or a large uh, company in that space that values it um, because they have that whole distribution network laid out. 
Right. You mentioned beyond. So there's series C, there's series D, and then at some point there's the IPO, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, there's just every round um, just gets a new letter until um, a lot of time. Or so if you're going, if you're going for the IPO route, um, then usually there'll be some sort of. Sometimes it's still called one of those letters. Other times it's just uh, pre-IPO mm. financing, and um, you know there'll be some additional capital usually raised just to get uh get everything structured um and the business like perfectly in place to then go public and um basically allow all the shareholders to sell to sell their shares on the public market um whereas before only private investors could invest in the business um and yeah so the ways Investors, uh, or that go the angel to VC route, um, and you know the way we've been talking about, um, they, the way they get a return on their investment is through an exit. So that could be the IPO and getting listed on the stock market. Um, it could mm-hmm. also be an acquisition or a merger with another business, um, or sometimes there's. Um, you know, also like sales to other investment or types of investors, like private equity firms that want to buy out a group of similar businesses and um, manage them, manage them together. Right, right. So, but very few companies get to that stage, IPO. I mean, we're talking, these are the, the big household names that get to IPO, right? But your, your company prepare for, for VC. So you essentially help startups to go to get, is it with the pre-seed stage, the seed stage? Like what is your, we just went through that whole process. So where do you fit in in that process and what exactly do you do? Do you help startups? Yeah, it's mostly the um, pre-seed to seed. So usually, um, you know, some companies will have like some financing in from, they're not always sometimes we're looking for their first for their first investors and first group of financing sometimes they have like friends and family or a, a individual or two investors on board um and they really need to then go out and expand to um to other uh the main focus for us is like angel angel groups individual investors and then these funds that are um are more pre-seed to seed stage venture funds um Mm -hmm. but yeah i'd say so what we're doing we're coming in we're helping the company build all of their materials so typically an investor will want to see a pitch deck um basically 10 to 15 slide presentation that highlights all the key aspects they're looking for in the investment um you know you get them excited if you send it by email that they want you to come in and or they want want to jump on a call or a pitch and uh have you come in for a meeting and go through the actual pitch and presentation um Mm -hmm. we're putting together the financial projections of what it will look like if somebody put in 
uh, capital now, you know, what will year one, two, three, four, and five look like um, from here? And then, you know, we're helping them um, figure out their full strategy of, you know, based off their type of company, where have other businesses have su had success fundraising? Has it been from, um, you know, has it been from a specific group of angels that have invested in this space in the past? Has it been um, venture capital investors or like, I guess the other bucket we didn't really talk about was strategic investors. So, you know, mm. if you're, um, if you're a, te a technology platform that does, um, I don't know, say like live streaming for videos, uh, maybe Zoom is excited about this and wants to invest in your business and right. um, like integrate it into, into what they're doing. Um, and that happens so a lot. A lot. That happens quite a lot, doesn't it? Like a lot of the bigger companies. Yeah, it's been happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been happening like a lot more, I think. Um, or so it's happened just uh, companies investing into into strategic like relationships and startups for a while, but now there's more um, like designated venture arms at some of the larger corporations. Um, so like even, you know, on the financial side, um, I know like Capital One uh, is a big credit card and bank here. They have their own venture capital firm and um, JetBlue, uh, big airline company has their own um, venture fund for anything related to the travel industry. So a lot of um, corporations are now starting their own investment arms as well. So something uh, you mentioned that I wanted to jump into was the um, institutional investors. So you've got big companies and you mentioned banks. I think you mentioned JetBlue, right? Did you say JetBlue? Yeah. That's an um, airline. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, are, are these companies essentially looking for the, the innovative sort of new startups that have all you know all these great ideas and they want to buy them because they want to integrate these new tools and ideas and innovations into their larger companies is that a part of it or yeah, are there so other part reasons? of it um yeah i think it used to just be you know they would wait they would wait until um until the companies were seeking acquisition and then look for you know, all these established startups that have done really well and then buy them out at the end. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the newer model, or that's still happening, but um, yeah, newer model now is just invest along the way and be like following on as an investor and part of the business. Um, they can also start that integration process and like partner with some of these businesses mm. earlier on. And, um, yeah, and so, you know, they can, uh, yeah, they can, like, a lot of it compared to, you know, invest or more straight venture capital investing, um, a lot of these strategic firms, you know, are only, they're going after startups that specifically, like, tie into their focus or could benefit the customers that they serve as well. Um, 
and yeah a lot of it will be tied to like not every business they invest in will end up you know make um acquiring or making an offer to acquire but it's sort of it's a good pipeline for them to um get involved early on and build those relationships with the startups right when these institutional investors these big corporations um buy out or take over these startups what happens is do these guys then eventually become like directors and leaders in the company they become part of the staff or do some of them just they get they get bought out and they go off i guess some of them go off and start new companies what happens normally um for the most part for the most part the staff will everyone will come with the business at least to get um it depends on how you know sometimes um sometimes the business will still exist just under new ownership and sometimes it'll be folded into the same brand so like like instagram was bought by facebook but they're still mm -hmm. running instagram um right so but other businesses will just um yeah you know be bought out and like turn into that everything will be under the new business um mm. so yeah sometimes there's still like a ceo of that old company um and other time you know at the minimum most acquisitions uh basically offer a contract for like a consulting role or a specific role within the new business to get everything set up and integrated right. with the with the business that acquired them um right. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times, uh, if it's the founder that was still running, running the company, um, when it got acquired, like they'll want to, um, they might not be somebody that wanted to like work under or sort of be part of, uh, a large corporation now and are more mm. entrepreneurial and go out mm. and just, maybe it takes a little bit of time. Um, but a lot of them will go out and start a new venture and, um, right do something different from there. Yeah, I think what it's quite common that their their business is bought out or maybe I've heard of instances where okay, the new company takes over and one of the founders then has to become a director for like maybe 12 months or something as a part of the deal right. like you said during like the transition period, but then after that they usually leave and just they're so entrepreneurial like you said, they go off and they start something new. <laughs> and yeah, they and do I mean, it all over again. Right. And even, um, you know, a lot of founders enjoy, like it's different, um, you know, running or being part of, uh, a company that's like one to 50 people versus, um, you know, if you're at that stage and got bought out, maybe you're at a several hundred or thousand person company then, and you know, mm. maybe that's not, um, not exactly what you're looking for and you want to go out and be part of a small and start up and grow it again. Um, if, I mean, that's, that's how they got started on their last business. So yeah, mm -hmm. see like a lot of, um, a lot of founders coming back and, you know, starting a second and third business from there. I guess they miss the thrill. It's the challenge, right? <laughs> right. Because I mean, yeah. you, I guess the, the penultimate is the IP or, or getting bought out. I guess a lot of founders start off with that goal in mind and then they achieve it. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I just have to come in and do a job. <laughs> 
and that's not what they want. So then they go off and they they solve another problem or they start something new. So interesting, very. Um, what are some of the? I guess it's twofold. Some of the the biggest blunders that startups make when they're investing, or perhaps some of the biggest challenges that they have when trying to seek out um, investors looking for investors. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one thing I'd say is um, it's easy to, or so, I mean, if you're in, involved in the business day to day, it's like easy to assume everything, um, everything makes sense to everyone else that makes sense to you. So um, I think just having, you know, somebody come in and review all of, all of your materials before you go out and pitch to investors, um, you know, and make sure like, is it explanatory why there's a, why there's a problem um, mm. that you need to solve and how you guys are solving it better than every, everyone else. And sort of that, that whole story you're putting together and pitching mm. to investors makes sense. Um, yeah. Like whoever it is, I think, you know, having some outside perspective of people that haven't seen or, heard um what you're doing before and seeing if it makes sense to them um always helps and then i think um a big part of or on the fun um fundraising path in general is just having having a plan earlier earlier on of um you know, is this a business where you want to raise, uh, or your goal is basically you can end up or, you know, monetary wise, you can end up the same if you have, um, if you've raised, you know, $3 million and turn it into a $50 million business, or if you raise, you know, $50 million and turn it into a $500 million business. Um, but like, what is the goal of the type of company you want to create and making right. sure you find the investors that, uh, that align with that pathway. Right. And I guess that's also how you help startups because you've got you, your venture partner yourself. So you, you know, a lot of those people. So I guess a part of that is connections, right? You're connecting them to the right kinds of investors. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And even like, it's a discussion, you know, even the individual or the angel investors and individual investors want to have um, early on to, you know, if there's a, if it is a business that will need a lot of financing down the road, um, do you have those relationships and connections um, that, you know, can make the, or make the next round not as much of a risk and, uh, you know, you don't want to have, um, a business that gets stuck or uh, just because they can't raise the second round of financing. Um, so, but a lot of times, um, you know, some or even some of the venture funds will do um, or they'll invest, you know, maybe they'll invest in a, have like an allocation for a seed, a series, like a bigger chunk for a series A and keep, following along in the deal um even some of the angel groups do follow on investments as well mm -hmm. but um yeah it's just making sure like you have all the expectations of um you know you know what your investors like 
like to see and um, what their expectations on follow-on investments are and if they have if you have a network or if they have a network that can make uh, each round a little bit easier and better to fundraise yeah absolutely so this community as you know is made up of it's all early stage startups it's all developing world and i i know you're you're friends with mudu and you you know you've worked with a lot of different people who are building startups all over the place but um so you're aware of some of the challenges that startups would have in the developing world versus say in like New York or San Francisco or you know London right so yeah what words of or more so what lessons would you like to share with us for those of us who eventually want to get funding in terms of I mean outside of what you just said like to mentally prepare ourselves because I think there's a technical aspect of getting funding and then there's the mental and emotional aspect of getting funding, right? Because I feel as though right. a lot of times when people speak about funding, it's just very technical. Like, okay, this is an investment. This is a tool. Investors, you know, they're, they're very much looking to get a return, da da da, da. But then from, a, from the startup side, from the entrepreneur side, this is something that you've worked on. You're obviously very attached to your, to your startup. So how can we sort of mentally and emotionally prepare ourselves for this crazy ride for those of us that want right. to, to get funding. I want to go that route. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, because like before or before you bring an investor on board, I mean, maybe you have some partners in the business, but sort of once you bring an investor on board, you're saying, um, you know, we're building this as a fast, our, our goal is basically building this as a fast-growing company that will have some sort of exit for investors down the line versus, um, you know, just building this as a, as a business that, you know, can provide salaries and long-term just benefits for people that are part of the company. Um, but, yeah, so I'd say, like, if your goal is to build it as, like, um, you know, a highly scalable startup company and, you know, take out outside investment to do that. Um, I think, you know, traditionally it's, um, I think it's getting, or there's more and more investment groups that are opening up the regions um, they'll go after now. Or so like a lot more VC funds are international now than, um, you know, it used to be, and there's still a lot that are pretty localized, but um, mm. like even some that, you know, will only invest in uh, within a city or within um, like a small region. But I think a lot more are seeing, you know, that there's a lot of opportunities in other areas. Nobody else has really, um, or none of the major VCs have tapped into in the past. And they're trying to expand their reach. Um, and then also a lot of the accelerator programs are a good way for, um, for companies, um, you know, if you're looking to get into, get connected with US investors, for example, like a lot of the accelerator programs here will take 
companies um, from around the world and still like introduce them in the same demo days to all the other investors there and give them an opportunity to meet the the investors here. Um, but there's also like, you know, we have a big venture community, but also like across um, Europe and, you know, other regions I've seen, uh, there's big, um, yeah, uh, big VC investment communities. And, you know, I'm, I've seen uh, like the startup space across, um, uh, yeah, across Africa and Asia has been, you know, been impressed by like everything through startup grind and the other groups, uh, the rare birds community and everything um, there. And it seems like it's been growing pretty rapidly. Um, so yeah, excited to see, you know, all the, all the ventures that are coming out. Um, and I'd say the other part too is like, um, I heard somebody else mention this, that, you know, some of the innovation here, um, or like here in the U.S., we're going sort of step by step into new technology that in other developing countries, you know, you might just go from, or if we're on technology, technology two and moving to technology three, maybe you didn't have one or two and just jump straight to three. So it doesn't mean like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, it's a different, could be a different pathway, but you know, um, we're all connected now on, um, on the same social media channels and Definitely. Uh, WhatsApp, Zoom. Um, and like, I think it's becoming more of a global startup ecosystem than ever before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's because the challenges in the developing world are so different, you know, so, and technology is such a big enabler in developing countries too. Um, but I mean, as we can see now with COVID, what's happening, you know, in terms of technology, those, those countries that really use, in, used technology seem to be thriving and surviving a little bit more than those that haven't right so like in a country like where i am i'm plugging china but i mean i know china is not the country to love right now <laughs> but we've done we've done really well over here because of all the tech because of how technologically capable the nation is you know so that it's it's as if even though a lot happened initially things are running really smoothly there wasn't that much disruption because the technological infrastructure is it's just so good you know, whereas right. there's still some other parts of the world where it's just not like that. Um, and even in, in some wealthier parts of the world as well. So I think uh, technology is transforming some of the developing world very, very quickly. So I guess that's why, you know, you find, for example, people are skipping stages of things and just jumping right in and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's definitely an exciting time to, to be in developing countries and see how entrepreneurship is moving really, really fast and see a lot of the people who are building really interesting and exciting startups, which you know of because you've introduced me to so many of them already. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I've had them on the podcast. So yeah. So it was really great to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been fantastic. Yeah. No, I enjoyed our conversation. And yeah, thanks for having me on here.
So before you leave, what are you going to do next? Because, I mean, you're a relatively young guy. You've done a lot already. Like, what are you going to, what, what, where do you see yourself in the next, like, five to ten years? Do you think you're going to stay in this space? Or are you going to build your own startup? What do you want to do? I uh, like the, um, yeah, I think just grow in the, uh, yeah, in the venture space here. And, um, yeah, I mean, the goal or to have a, you know, bigger fund and a bigger um, advisory group that we can help, you know, more and more startups. Cool. But you're definitely, this is your thing. You're definitely staying in this, in this particular realm doing this work. Investment, yeah, like, um, investment work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, you know, the aspect of like trying to figure out what the next best thing is from the investment side. Um, and also, you know, helping a lot of different companies at the same time um, and sort of being able to learn and apply, um, apply what works for one company to a different, to a different startup. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. That is, that part is really interesting actually. Very cool. Okay. Jason, thank you so much. And all right, folks, that's it for us. I hope you've learned some really new and interesting things. I know I have always learned new things when I talk to Jason. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> all thank right. You okay, bye for now. Bye. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.